Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. So next Sunday is the 4th of July. It's July already, isn't that crazy? But I would imagine that uh, there will be some 4th of July parties, and, and I was thinking about that in the context of the message we're going to get into today, and, and, and what made me think about those parties was, was kind of wondering if, if you could invite anyone in the world to your 4th of July party, who would you invite? So what do you think? You can invite anyone in the world, who are you going to invite to your 4th of July party? Jesus. I knew someone was going to say Jesus. <laughs> we're in a church building after all. But you know, at the same time, like Jesus was at a lot of dinner parties. I think he was a pretty fun guy to hang around. I mean, he could confront you on things too, you know, so there's, there's that. But, but Jesus did go to, he was at a lot of dinner parties. All right, so Jesus, anybody else? It's hard to top that one. We're not looking to top anybody. Who would you invite? Donald Trump. Donald Trump, all right. You can invite Donald Trump. That'd be interesting. Anybody else? Who would you invite? <laughs> Uncle Wayne. Nice family. That's awesome. Anybody else? Best friends. Best friends. All right. Hey, we're like, we want to bring people there. And so, so here's what I wonder. If you were to bring somebody really important or meaningful to, to that party, how would others respond? What do you think? Maybe get a little bit excited, right? Like somebody there is like, wow, I'd actually, I'd really love to talk to that person. And I bring that up in the context of some passages we're going to cover today that, that we have this amazing invitation from the Lord to participate in God's global party. That what we find in scripture is every time someone far from God comes home to God, there is a party in heaven. Isn't that awesome? If I'm honest, as I was going through the passages, it's like sometimes I forget that, sadly. I need to remember that every time someone far from God comes home to God, there is a party going off in heaven and we get to participate in that. And, and so what I want to do today is we continue our Better Together series. You know, we just had that, that tagline that the, the way we get through a crisis together, but the way we reach the world is together. We need each other to see that done. And, and, and what we find this morning is we have this incredible invitation from Jesus to participate in God's global party. The question is, how do we participate and will we participate? So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do. If you're new to Connection Point Church, uh, we simply say that because we want you uh, really daily in God's word and being shaped by it. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 today. We're going to read the whole chapter, so uh, lots of scripture today. Um, but it all goes together, and so it's so important that we look at, at each one of these parables of lost sheep, lost coin, lost sons, because there's a lot that we can learn from those. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, and here's where we start. In verse 1, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. How about that verse as a, as a message unto itself, right? That's a good question. Like, man, are those types of people drawn to me in the way that I follow Jesus? Anyway, I'll let you sit in that one later. That's, that's not the message today. That's a, that's a bonus. 
And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me, and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when his son of yours comes home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So the parables that we read today, the parables of the lost sheep, lost coin, and lost sons, they all end with a party. Jesus says in the first two parables that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There is a party in heaven over every person who makes a decision to follow Jesus. Why? Because it is God's good will that no person perish without saving knowledge of him. 
It is God's big dream that people of every tongue, tribe, and nation, that they one day party together in heaven. This is what we find. This is the picture we have in in the New Testament book of Revelation where John writes, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What I want us all to understand today is we have all been invited to God's global party. Everyone. You got an invitation in the mail. Maybe you got it by email, but we've all been invited. We all have this invitation. And from our passage today, we see the joy that the party that takes place in our hearts, the opportunity for joy in our hearts as we participate in it. But what I also find interesting is is sometimes I think it's a challenge for people to do what they need to do to be a part of that party. For whatever reason, I think there's lots of reasons for that. It can be sometimes unsettling for me, the challenge people have in in really making their faith their own, and not just their own, but something that could be shared with others. Uh, Every October, except last October because of uh, COVID, we we host a minister's conference here uh, at Connection Point Church. It's for all the Assemblies of God ministers across the state. And and I will never forget a couple of years ago during a question and answer time, because they bring in a speaker and they'll speak and they'll share. And and, and one of the pastors from another church in the state, he he got to the microphone. He said, you know, we actually have a a mission much like this church. He was referring to Connection Point. You know, he saw the banners on Main Street. He said, you know, we want people to find a place of belonging. We want them to believe in Jesus. And and we want them to become like him. And then he said something really interesting. So the last thing, if you look on the banners, it says, belong, believe, become, and bring. And he said, you know, we actually don't have the bring part, but we probably should. And I thought, man, that's a pretty good summary of how I think sometimes in our Western setting we've treated the church. We kind of forget the bring part sometimes. But the problem with forgetting that one important part is we really can't participate in God's global party without it. Yeah, we can find faith in Jesus, but, but there's something we miss in our life with him if we don't bring people to Jesus. I, I think about churches that instead of being a mission-sending base that changes the world, a lot of times what I've found is people are just good to have a group of people to get together with and hopefully live a good moral life with, but there's so much more that we're offered in God's kingdom. And I don't know about you, but if we're offered more in God, shouldn't we go after that? There's more that we're offered. We can bring people to Jesus, and as we do that, we get to celebrate with all of heaven. But I would also say, when we don't bring people to Jesus, Satan is thrilled. But I don't know about you, but I'd rather see rejoicing in heaven than for Satan to be happy. I want Satan to be very unhappy with the way that we live our lives in the kingdom of God, right? Oh man, may we. We were made for so much more in the kingdom of God. And not until we start living out our purpose will we start living fully alive lives in the kingdom of God. And the starting point, the starting point for participating in God's global party, it's always time with Jesus. That's always the starting point. That's what we find, that we can participate in God's global party by spending time with Jesus. Early in the New Testament book of Mark, we find Jesus ministering in, uh, in the Galilee town of Capernaum. It's in northern Israel, so he's ministering there. He's had a busy day of preaching and healing and, and casting out demons. 
And so then the question is, what happens after that very busy ministry day? Here's what we find in Mark chapter 1. Mark writes that before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. What we consistently find in scripture is the doing of Jesus came out of his being with the Father. We cannot hope to participate in God's global party for not spending time with God. He has to be the source of our doing. There's no other way to be sustained for the work he's prepared for us. Uh, John York, great, uh, a great missiologist, he says that there is no go without the low. What he's talking about is if we look at Matthew chapter 28, what we call the Great Commission, Jesus says, go into all the world, making disciples, teaching them to obey all the commands. And then a little bit later he says, and lo, I'm with you always. We cannot go without the low. But I also want to be clear, our being with Jesus should compel us to go. Because that's what we see. Because after Jesus spends time with the Father, he tells the disciples, we must go to other towns as well. That is why I came. That's a really strong statement. That is why I came. That Jesus didn't come for temple reform. He didn't come to overthrow Rome. Scripture tells us he came to seek and save the lost which is the very mission he, he invites us to participate in and really expects us to do. The New Testament book of Luke, it records, so as we, we took years to go through Luke, it records the missionary acts of a spirit-empowered Messiah. And then the corollary to it, the New Testament book of Acts, it records the missionary acts of a spirit-empowered church. They go hand in hand, and Jesus models for us what we're to do, but the source of these missional endeavors is always time with God. So I would like to ask, how, how are you doing spending time with Jesus? In moments like we had this morning, this is great that we can gather this way, but this isn't meant to be your only time with Jesus this week. What are your favorite worship songs? What's your favorite prayer chair? Do you have a chair that you like to pray in? What Bible reading plan are, are you currently in? And I just kind of ask a couple of those questions because if you don't have answers to those, maybe it reveals, you know what? I think I could start spending a little bit more time with Jesus because it has to start there. That we participate in God's global party by spending time with Jesus. But here's what else we find. That we can participate in God's global party by going. In, in the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd had to leave the 99 to go after the one. And what's interesting is that when the shepherd finds the one lost, he lays the sheep on his shoulders to bring it back. And why does a shepherd do this? Uh, why doesn't he just tell the sheep where to go, right? I mean, that's kind of what he typically does. He herds them, right? Why doesn't he do that? Well, it's because a lost sheep, in paranoia and anxiousness, what happens is they lie down helplessly and they will refuse to budge. So then the shepherd is forced to carry it over this long distance. Okay, you want to know how much a sheep weighs on average? 200 pounds. 
I don't know about you, but 200 pounds on your shoulders, that's a lot, right? And, and we don't necessarily think about the burden of that carrying. And why is that? Because in scripture it says he it was excited to like carry that sheep on his shoulders because he, he had found it. And this is important because for the shepherd, he doesn't think anything of the burden. And if we want to join the party, we must rejoice in the burden of bringing others to Jesus. Because can I tell you, it's not always easy. But the shepherd shows us we can rejoice in that and be a part of what God is doing. Now look at the woman seeking the lost coin. She lights her oil lamp, which means she had to fill it with oil. She had to get the oil. She had to light it on fire. She had to set it up in a corner. She's diligently seeking. So even for this woman, she's working hard to recover that lost coin. And I would say in both of these cases, not only was work required, but going was required. The shepherd had to go and search in the wilderness. The woman had to go about the house. And I do think it's interesting that Jesus shares these two examples of an individual traveling a longer distance and, and somebody traveling a short distance. That if we bring that into our situation today, our bringing others to Jesus could involve small goes, and sometimes it involves big goes. But it's all up to God and how that comes out. You know, we can bring Jesus to cashiers in Walmart and Meyer and Menards by greeting them by name and asking how their day is going. I think sometimes we make it harder than it needs to be. But if you simply show value for a person, isn't that God doing the same thing? There's an important way that we can do that. Trips to the store aren't just about going and getting groceries or things for our house. We're interacting with people who might be lost sheep, whom Jesus is going after, and he might want to use you for that purpose. He wants to use us to bring people to the party. I was thinking about, you know, we don't just live in apartment complexes or houses and neighborhoods that we're actually living among lost sheep whom Jesus is going after, and he wants to use us which is really an incredible invitation from the Son of God. You know, we can also bring Jesus to unreached people groups by going to them. We've got several in our congregation that have gone and are going. So there's lots of ways that we can accomplish this. So the question isn't really, are we sent, but to whom and to where are we sent? That's what we need to figure out. One of the things that's, that's helped me be more intentional in my day is to take time in the morning to pray for divine appointments. Uh, that was not a regular practice for a lot of years, but more frequently now, I'll just pray and say, God, provide an, a divine appointment today that's from you, where I can give just a word of encouragement. Maybe I'll talk about Jesus. It doesn't really matter what, but just can I be intentional with my day? And I will tell you this, as you begin to pray that way, you start to view your day very differently. It's like you're living a mini adventure with Jesus. <laughs> because any interaction you start to look at through the lens of, well, God, is this a divine appointment? Help me not to miss it. I was talking with one of our church members a couple days ago, and, and uh, I, I told him I was going to be talking about this only because he'd already shared a story of how this happened in his own life, that he was setting up for a garage sale. And, and setting up for the garage sale, the, everything was already out um, on the driveway, but then the rain was coming, so then he's out there and, and trying to get everything tarped, and, and I don't know about you, but that can get a little bit frantic, Right? But then the rain passes and things are uncovered and people start to show up. And, and because his heart is already postured this way, God just began to say, how about pray for these people? And he just began to one by one offer to pray with people. And isn't it always amazing that people say, yes, I'd love some prayer. 
be prayed for at a garage sale. I love that. Those were divine appointments, divine opportunities, but we have to have eyes to see them. So the starting point really is in prayer. So I'd encourage you, participate in God's global uh, party by beginning in prayer. Take time tomorrow morning and, and pray for divine appointments because prayer is the mission and prayer informs the mission. God can speak to you about an opportunity later that day. And then as you're out and about in your day, look for God in your daily interactions with others. Be willing to share an encouraging word to pray with someone or talk about Jesus in the way that he's changed your life. Because to participate in God's global party, we have to go. And we also find that we can participate in God's global party by coming home. We can participate in God's global party by coming home. Uh, the parable of the, of the sons, it opens. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property and reckless living. Kenneth Bailey, in his book, Poet and Peasant, he, he talks about how he, for 15 years, was asking people of all walks of life, from, from Morocco to, to India, from Turkey to Sudan, about the implication of a son's request for his inheritance while the father is still living. And so Bailey would ask these individuals, has anyone ever made such a request in your village? People would say, never. And he said, could anyone ever make such a request? Impossible, they would say. If anyone ever did, what would happen? His father would beat him, of course. Why, Bailey inquired, because this request means he wants his father to die. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we, it helps us as we look in, at these passages through the lens of the culture in which they were written to better understand what's really going on here. There, there was and is no law or custom among the Jews or Middle Eastern people that entitles a son to a share of the father's wealth while the father is still alive. For the younger son to ask the father to both divide and give him his inheritance, it was an offense of all offenses. He was basically saying, Dad, give me what I have coming. I can't wait for you to die. I mean, even in our Western setting, that's horribly offensive, right? One of the things we need to understand about this parable is it really has a lot to do about the love of the father. Because even in this opening scene, the father is expected to explode and discipline the boy for the cruel implications of his demand, but he doesn't. Instead, the father actually grants the offensive request to the son. Can you imagine? Is there a more dramatic illustration of the quality of love which grants the son freedom to reject the father? I don't think so. You see, some of you might be here today either in person or, or maybe even online, and at some point in your life, you walked away from God. Maybe not even sure why you're here today. You wanted nothing to do with God. You wished he were dead. And in love, in love, God allowed you to walk away because he cannot force you to love him in return. He loves you, but your love of him has to be a choice that we all make, that you make, that I make. But let me say this, but when you respond to God's love, Here's what happens. You regain your God-given identity. It is always worth responding to the love of God. Our passage relates, but while he was still a long way off, 
His father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Before the boy can even reach the father's house, the father runs to meet the son, which in his own way, in that culture, is an act of humility on part of the father. He embraces him and he kisses him. And although his son had a speech prepared, he cuts it short because of how the father has greeted him. His son wanted to say, treat me as one of your hired servants. But in place of this statement, the father says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And who do we think the best robe belonged to? The father. And in requesting these items, what he's saying to everyone who's there in the town, he will wear my robe, a ring from my household, and shoes to show everyone, this is my son. I didn't cast him off, this is my son. And then what does he do? He holds a party for him. So maybe you're here today and you think there's no way that you can turn back to God because you turned your back on him. But the story that Jesus shares, it shows us your loving heavenly father wants you to return home today. He wants you today. So the question is, will you come home? And if you will, I'll say this, you can be sure that you regain your God-given identity. You haven't lost a thing because God gives it all back. We can participate in God's global party by coming home. But we also find that we can participate in God's global party by loving the lost. This last parable, it's often been labeled the parable of the prodigal son. But when we read the story closely, we actually find it's the parable of the lost sons in the plural. Both of these sons are lost simply in different ways. Rereading the last few verses, it says, now the older son was in the field and he came and he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. The younger son offended the father by asking for his inheritance. And now the older son offends his father by not going into the party. Uh, This is a real slap in the face for the father in front of the townspeople, that in this setting, the older son is actually meant to serve as the host for the guests, welcoming people as they come. But in this case, the older son refuses to take on this responsibility, and instead he sits outside. And again, what, what do we see for the father? He displays humility and love as he goes outside to encourage his oldest son to take on the responsibility of serving as a host. And what does the oldest son say? These many years I have served you. He doesn't say these many years I have been your oldest son. No, he says these many years I've been a servant to you. The oldest son didn't claim his identity, his sonship. He claimed that of being a servant. 
But the father's not just looking for servants. He's looking for sons and daughters who will claim their full identity in him and who are excited to celebrate with God when the lost come home. That's what he's looking for. The younger son wanted to deny his identity when he came back home. And now the older son is denying his identity as a son. And to both, the father says, no, you are my sons. You are my sons. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're not just a servant. You are a son or daughter of the most high God. And the question is, are you living in that identity today? Or have you denied your identity by refusing to serve as a host for the lost people in our area and in the world? The older brother didn't even want to identify the younger son as his brother. Look at what he says. This son of yours, his daddy says, this son of yours came. But then when Jesus says, he doesn't say my brother. That's what he should have said. This son of yours. When Jesus says that we are to love God, the father, and to love others, he really meant it. Because a lack of love destroys the work of God in our lives and the life of a church. So I wonder, how are we doing at loving God and loving all others? And what does the father say to the oldest son? Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. He's trying to help him understand who he is. Why is it that after we've been following Jesus for a while, sometimes we can forget the abundance that we're offered in God? We can forget it sometimes. And so then God has to remind us of that. Why is it that sometimes we serve and and then in so doing we can forget that we're actually sons and daughters of his? Why is it that we could become jaded and, and skeptical and combative with others? How is it that sometimes we can want others to get what they have coming instead of working to bring others home so they might enjoy the abundance of God too? We don't want to be that older brother because we can be just as lost if we're him. And the interesting thing about this story of the lost sons, we don't know how it ends. Jesus leaves it open-ended. The ending to the story could go one of, of two ways. The first way is the older son came and he entered the house and he joined in the music and dancing and the two sons were reconciled to each other and to their father. So that's one potential ending. But we also know that there's another. The other could be that the older son remained outside and he missed the party and remained unreconciled to his brother and his father. So the question is, Will we help bring others home to God and celebrate as we do? Or will we become jaded and skeptical and have no real heart for the lost? How will we respond? And this matters because to participate in God's global party, we must have a love for the lost. And then here's the really great news this morning. When we bring others to Jesus, we get to celebrate. We get to celebrate. I love how at the end of every one of these stories that people are called together in rejoicing in what was been found. So for the, the, the found sheep, our passage relates, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And when the woman finds a lost coin we read, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, rejoice with me, for I have lost the coin that I had lost. I found it. And for the lost son, the father declares, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. And they began to celebrate. 
There's an incredible celebration in, in all of heaven when the lost come home. That true joy for all of us is found in bringing others to Jesus. The way that we live fully alive lives in the kingdom of God is by loving the lost to Jesus. And we love through word and action. So I just want to ask, when's the last time you participated in God's heavenly party by helping somebody else have an experience with Jesus? If you've never had opportunity to participate, just begin to pray this week. That's how all things should start. Begin in prayer and ask God for divine opportunities. Because what an opportunity we have to participate in God's global party by bringing others to Jesus. I was thinking about this as as we're closing, music team's gonna come. You know, but somebody might say, but what if I just don't have a love for lost people? And I would say then the starting point is, is pray for a heart for the lost. God will give it to you, because that's, that's, that's God's heart. So all you're praying is, God, give me your heart for the people around me. And man, that's a prayer that God wants to answer. He'll do it. So maybe that's where you need to start this week. Start praying for that first and then pray later for divine appointments. And watch as you begin to see people differently. As you begin to pray that way, you will notice people differently. You'll actually have an interest in their names. I look at name badges, you know, what's somebody's name and and say their name. You might even have an interest in what is their story if you have opportunity to ask it. It'll start to change the way that you interact with others. It just will. Why? Because God loves those people. God loves the people in our lives. But I also know as we close this morning that some of you might be here today or or joining us online and you haven't come home yourself. But that was one of the points this morning. We can participate in your party of coming home today. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing? And so that's what we want to be able to do as we close. I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to close in song. and, And as you're standing, I want to ask, are you here today and you realize you have never come home to God or Or maybe you've walked away at some point, but you need to return today. You realize that my life is not what it could be or should be because I've just not been following God in the way that I know I could or should. But today you want to do something different. You want to say, God, I just want to come home. I want to regain my God-given identity that only you can give. So with every head bowed in the room this morning, so let me ask, who here today says, that's me, I, I want to come home today. I need to come home today. Who here today would say, that's me? If you're online, you can make mention there. We've got a host that can interact with you there. God, I just thank you for the opportunity you give us to come home. I thank you for the invitation you provide each one of us to participate in your grand global party. And so Jesus, I just pray that you would Continue to compel us in love to make a difference with the people that we interact with. Father, just in our day-to-day activities, Lord, I, I pray that you give us your heart. Pray that for all of us this morning. And God, then I also pray for divine appointments and opportunities that, that we would daily live on a mini-adventure with you and, and the opportunity we have to encourage someone, to pray with someone, to, to talk about you and the difference you've made in our lives. So Jesus, I just pray that you help each one of us to live for you. And Lord, just respond to others out of a love for you. And God, we trust you for that work that you're gonna do in our lives. As we close in song, may we just commit ourselves to you. And Lord, may you grow our heart for the lost. And we trust you for that work, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.